Is God's existence logical? Is it something that people should believe in? Should people believe in God in the 21st century? Well, what about science? What about scientific explanations? Which is more scientific? To believe in current, generally accepted scientific uh, theory or hypotheses, if you will, on how the universe got here, how we got here? Or is it much more logical to believe that there is a creator God? It doesn't make any difference. Well, people who've made up their mind and they don't want to know the facts, we won't be able to assist them. If you're interested in knowing the truth, and the Bible says as Christians we're supposed to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, I think it's very important for us to know whether or not God's existence is logical. First of all, we've got to realize there's basically two choices. There either is some type of a spirit being which we call God, or there's not. Uh, if uh, there is no such spirit being, which is kind of the, well, it is the actual preferred explanation by some so-called scientists, if there was no creator, things just randomly happened, does that make sense? But those are the only two choices. There either is a God or a creator, or there is no Creator God. Uh, there's, no other, there's no other option. Now, some have suggested kind of an in-between option that there was some kind of Creator God who left and everything else just came back together. But even under that explanation, it starts off with the Creator God. Now, some have argued whether or not there is truly such a thing as existence, and I'm not going to go through that. We're going to presume the fact that uh, you're watching this, listening to this, that you do exist, since I'm doing this, that I exist, and that there's a planet Earth that we're living on, and there's uh, the rest of the universe. Most of you have been brought up believing that there's something called an atom. Uh, when he originally came up with the idea, they thought the, the word atom actually meant this basically the smallest indivisible thing that there could be, and everything was be, would be built upon that. And actually, when they first came up with the idea of atoms, people kind of said that wasn't right. They didn't believe in it. But later they found that not only are there atoms, but atoms aren't the smallest things. Atoms have protons, neutrons, and electrons. And then they found out there's even some other things called quarks and some other odd things. These things are out there. Atoms seem to exist with some type of energy. Basically, if you have an atom you'll have a proton in the middle of it, and you'll have something kind of looks like, in a sense, you could consider it like a globe. And you've got electrons spinning around at incredible speeds. They're moving fast. They're moving all the time. Now, as much as humans know by energy, energy should run out after some point in time, but these electrons keep spinning around. And as far as we can tell, and dating methods are questionable, uh, the universe is probably 14 to 16 billion years old, give or take. Uh, that's the current view of it. And with that particular view, that means these electrons have been spinning for 14 to 16 billion years at incredible speeds, and they haven't stopped. If there was no creator God, then they should have been existing even longer than that, forever, something to think about. Furthermore, 
when a lot of times people think of atoms, protons, and neutrons, electrons, they start thinking things such as nuclear bombs and that kind of a thing. Well, in order to produce nuclear weaponry, at least the way I understand it, I'll admit that my understanding on this is a bit limited. I have studied physics, but I'm not an expert in it. Well, to create atomic bombs, they usually use radioactive fuel, some type of uh, uranium, which gets enriched at certain levels. But radioactive uh, elements give off uh, radiation. And over time, it's called a half-life. After so much time, half the radiation is gone. Then so much time longer, the other, the next half is gone, etc., etc., etc. Well, if the elements, the radioactive elements had existed forever, there would be no radiation anymore. It would all be gone. But it's not. So why do I start off by saying these things? I've started off by saying, consider the physical universe has limits, things wear out, Things are expended. And if the universe could be expended, or the energy in the universe, or all that, or the radiation could be expended, then the universe had to have a beginning. And if it had to have a beginning, then you start to wonder, okay, well, how did that beginning start and who started it? Now, some have tried to get around this. Some science, so-called scientists get around this by something they call the oscillating universe theory. And I'll try to explain it kind of briefly. Briefly, they believe that at some point in time, the entire universe all got together. All the planet, what we now see is the planets and the stars and everything else got together. And it formed a very small amount of space. As a matter of fact, and I find this unusual or almost difficult, somewhat difficult to, to comprehend and believe, but basically they say the entire universe was oh, about that big, maybe. The whole universe just got packed and packed and packed back together, and there's no more space. It gets so tight together, the gravity, gravitational forces supposedly get so intense that it explodes. And this causes the universe to expand. And then because of all these explosions, you get uh, planets, and because you get stars, stars make the heavier elements, and somehow we get what we are at now. And they say, but eventually, after it's expanding and expanding, 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 it finally slows down for some reason. And then gravity brings it all back together, and it all gets all back together, so the entire universe is about that big again. That's the theory. And the reason for the theory is because some scientists have realized the idea that uh, the universe started at some point, if it never started, then energy wouldn't be as we see it, radioactivity wouldn't be as we see it. There's several other things they've concluded. Therefore, it says, oh, it's got to be going and doing this. Well, scientifically, I've got some major problems with that. Uh, first of all, out in space, when you start to put something in motion, it continues in motion until it's stopped. And... If, it, if the gravitational force from the things going away from it wasn't strong enough to pull it together, or basically bring it back together when it's separating during the explosion, there's no way it's going to bring it back together again later. So that's one, one, uh, one problem I have with it. And later I'll go through some other explanations as well. But one of the problems that some people who claim to be scientists have about God 
is they say, well, we can't prove that there's a God, therefore we don't believe that there's a God, because we can't see that there's a God. Well, the same thing has been said throughout the ages regarding atoms. They, they came up with the idea of atoms thousands, a couple thousand years ago, and some said, oh, this is nonsense, there isn't something so super, super small and whatever. And people came up with the idea, they were ridiculed for a while. And some questioned whether or not they existed, because you can't see them, if they're too small to see. Although we now have ways you can actually sort of measure them and, in a sense, kind of see them. But we know through various scientific tests that we can demonstrate that they exist, that atoms do exist, and they have these different parts that I've mentioned before. Now, there's some other parts that have been speculated that haven't been proven, but they've been trying to work on that. Nowadays, unlike thousands of years ago when people were ridiculed for the idea of believing in atoms, most people uh, believe in atoms, believe in thought taught them they accept it. They haven't proven it necessarily, but they've accepted it, so people tend to believe this. They, uh, but scientists believe it for the right reason in this case, and that is they can see what it does. They can see what atoms do. Excuse me a second. Caught myself from sneezing there. You can see what atoms do. You can see what parts of atoms do. Therefore, it's logical to conclude that there are atoms. Well, similarly, you can see God's creation. You can see how things work. And we'll get more into that later, but because there are things that you can see that are the result of God existing, this does help prove that God exists. And again, as I said at the outset, there's really only two options. Either there's a creator God that started everything, or things just randomly happen and have uh, been existing forever. We don't see God personally yet, in the, um, but Jesus knew about that. And actually, I read something from the book of uh, uh, Matthew uh, 13, verses 16 through 17. Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes, for, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So he was talking to his disciples at the time. He says, For assuredly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So throughout history... The prophets wanted, uh, most of them did not uh, see God. Sometimes they heard something from God or had dreams, but they didn't always do, see or hear because that's what this says. But furthermore, Jesus prophesied that the time would come that people would believe, who didn't see him, of course. If you go to the book of John, we're only going to read a brief package, passage in this, John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus told Thomas, the one who's historically been called Doubting Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's the situation now. None of us has seen Jesus. Um, Based on my read of scripture, I don't believe any of us are going to see Jesus until he returns. Uh, So until that time, none of us see him. We have his word. We're supposed to believe his word which I think we can also prove. Uh, I may do another uh, sermon at some point in time uh, to uh, more prove prove the Bible. Right now, I'm basically trying to contrast mainstream scientific claims 
and creation, which makes the most sense to believe. What's more scientific? And again, why is this important for Christians? We'll get to that in a moment. Now, interestingly, there were some mathematicians at Tufts University in Massachusetts. They concluded that the physical universe had a beginning, not based on most of the things that I've said so far. They basically decided to take a look at the oscillating uh, universe theory. And it says, one idea, that, this is one they were challenging, is that the universe is cyclical with big bangs followed by big crunches, followed by big bangs in an infinite cycle. Again, that's the one I call the oscillating universe theory. And that is that, okay, all this matter got together, got so close together, it was just, the pressure was so intense, it blew up the big bang. Then, eventually that stopped, died out, and then it all came back together, and they're calling that the, uh, the big crunch. Another view that they challenged was the notion of eternal inflation, in which different parts of the universe expand and contract at different rates. And these reasons can be thought of as different universes of a gi- in a giant universe. Now, even though we seem to be living in an inflating cosmos or inflating universe, It, it does seem to look, according to these scientists, that the universe had uh, a beginning. According to Audrey Methani and Alexander Villenkin at Tufts University in Massachusetts, says the models that I've, the mathematical models are incompatible with the idea of an eternal past. And if there was no eternal past, that means things had to start. And if they had to start, How could they start? The physical universe couldn't just show up on its own and begin for no reason. Okay, And this is what these scientists are trying to say. There there had to be a beginning. So it says their argument focuses on the mathematical properties of eternity, a universe with no beginning and no end. Such a universe must contain trajectories that stretch infinitely into the past. However... These two scientists, or mathematicians, they point to proof dating from 2003 that these kind of past trajectories cannot be infinite if they're part of a universe that expands in a specific way. They're saying because our universe appears to expand in a certain way, it's not possible if you take the reverse of that. If you see that we've been going like this, and then you say, okay, then what were we doing before? They're saying that's incompatible with the idea that the universe had no beginning. It says they cannot be eternal in the past and must therefore have had a beginning. Now here's an interesting part. They say, although inflation of the universe may be eternal in the future, it cannot be extended infinitely into the past or indefinitely into the past. And that's true. Uh, if you go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, I'm going to read something briefly. First part. Isaiah 9, verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, that's Jesus, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The indication is that somehow... God's government, God's kingdom is going to continually expand. Now, it's possible that God will do something 
to the physical universe, all the planets and stuff that are out there differently than he's currently doing. But the way it presently appears is that the universe continues to expand and is going farther and farther apart. And that, these scientists say, that's compatible with mathematical models on trajectories and all that type of a thing. He says the conclusion is inescapable. None of these scenarios presented by other scientists can actually be past eternal. In other words, the scientists have said, look, we've looked, these two scientists have said, look, we've looked at how people try to explain away creation. They didn't use the word creation, by the way, they'd probably uh, be chastised at their work for doing it. But they say when we try to take from where things have been going in the universe and try to project backwards, it can't go back infinitely. There is a time where it has to stop. Or the reverse, it had to start. And that pretty much eliminates the possibility that there is no God. Well, actually, totally eliminates that possibility. But that's not the only proof. Now, this particular proof I just said is a bit complicated, and I know you don't necessarily want to tell everybody all that, but I just thought I would mention this. One of the reasons I'm going through all this, by the way, is so people will all of us will understand that there is a God. You say, well, I already believe there's a God. Uh-huh. That's good. The devils believe, too. Okay. We want you not only to believe that there is a God, but to truly know that there is a God, and therefore do what God wants you to do. The Apostle Paul said to walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes, especially as persecutions come up, uh, or many of us have difficulties. There's not a lot of people in our church areas. A lot of times we've got to just uh, watch church service over the internet. Uh, we get very few uh, ministerial visits. I know as a minister, I don't make a lot of visits to lots of other areas. We have members, so of that I, I do understand. Or a lot of most areas I haven't even been to, although I've got plans to visit some others. So it might be discouraged. But if we realize there truly, truly is a God, and there is no other option, there is a God or there's not, and there has to be a God. Once we know that there has to be a God, this should affect our thinking, our way of life. Now Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Now he said that after talking about people, you know, say, you worry about you eat, drink, what you're going to wear, and all he says. Things. The people who aren't Christians, they... They worry about all these things, but you as Christians, or as followers of Christ, should seek first God's kingdom. And if you know, and you really know, that there is a God, not just, oh yeah, there probably is one, okay, fine. Yeah, it kind of probably wants me to do something, but, you know, i got other things I want to do, besides this looks more appealing, this is going on, etc. You need to realize that there truly is a God. And that God created the universe, and God created you, and God has a plan for you. Now, in Psalm 14, verse 1, why don't you go over there, I have a sip of water. It says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I'd like to talk about that for just a moment. You say, wait a second, it's the smart minds, the educated, etc., came up with uh, some of the stuff with evolution, Uh, So these are all educated. These people are not fools and that kind of a thing. Well, interestingly, 
one of the things I read about evolution that got it accepted by the so-called uh, educated class or the liberal educated class was some of them felt it was illogical. But the reason they accepted it is they had a, something that was more important in their mind. What was more important in their mind was they wanted an excuse to not believe this book, not live by this book. I've read uh, quotes from the 1800s from uh, one or more uh, intellectuals that said, oh, we basically accepted evolution because we don't want to have to be held to the, the precepts of the Bible. We could tell people... Uh, God didn't make this, or look, there's another explanation than God, therefore we can live the way we want to live. And that's actually why a lot of them originally uh, adopted the idea of evolutionary theory, or they accepted it, even though many of them realized it was somewhat illogical. And I'll get to more of that later. Now, but the belief in God is logical, and I'm going to go more into that in a moment. But beforehand... I said I wasn't going to uh, totally try to prove the Bible today, and I'm not going to, but there's one part that I would like to somewhat prove. If you take your Bibles and you go to the uh, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 8, and I'd like to read something there. And I'd like to read something that the Apostle John was inspired to write over uh, 1,900 years ago, probably around 1900. Uh, 10, 20 years ago. That's an estimate, though. It says, Then the third angel sounded, a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers, on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was bitter. Now, what's this got to do with? Well, a great star falling from heaven, burning like a torch, that sounds like, and it doesn't have to be, but that sounds like a description of a comet. Okay? And what's interesting about comets, now I'm going to read something uh, from some scientists, this is actually uh, astronomers believe that comets appear with something called cyanogen. Cyanogen is uh, something that gives a comet the green hue that they that they have, and the scientists think that hydrogen uh, uh, cyanide on comets might be where the cyanogen gas co- comes from. Well, anyway, if the cyanogen gas mixes with water, it'll form hydrogen cyanide. Now it's got an almond odor and a bitter taste. And it reportedly causes death at concentrations about five parts per million. Now, why is that interesting? Well, you see, for this star or comet named Wormwood, it causes people to die from what it does to the water. And it's bitter. And that's exactly what happens with, with, with comets. They can, they can do the same type of a thing. So that was written over 1900 years ago. Nobody had any idea of what comets were made of back then. Nobody knew that comets uh, had uh, cyanogen in it and that that would make water bitter and it could kill people. But God knew. And he recorded it down. So some of you who are questioning some of what I've said, you might at least consider that particular scientific fact. Now others of you, on the other hand, are going to say, look, it's just faith. Uh, We believe in God. 
and we just have faith and we don't really care about the facts. Well, you should care about the facts. Why? Because if you just claim to have faith and you don't know what you have faith in, uh, that's probably not a real faith. You, I mean, you can say the same argument that the Buddhists have, the, uh, the Hindus have, the Muslims have, uh, various other groups have. They just take something on faith because they don't want to prove it. But as Christians, we're supposed to be people of this book. We're supposed to believe what it says, and we're supposed to do what it says. Well, if you take your Bibles, you don't have to go there, but uh, I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. And the reason I say you don't have to go there is I'm going to read it from the Old King James Version. So if you have the Old King James Version, that's fine. Most of the time when I'm reading the Scripture, so I'm going to the New King James Version. Primarily because in the 21st century, more people are more comfortable with that version of the English language than the older one. But for this particular point, I thought this is very helpful to hear. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, the Apostle Paul wrote, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Supposed to prove all things. And that's what I'm trying to do in this sermon. In this sermon, I'm trying to give you information that you can prove that there is a God. Not like, yeah, I kind of think so. Uh, Yeah, I'd like to think there's a God. Or really hope that there's a God. But, you know, maybe there's not because there's all these documentaries on television about evolution. You have all these scientists. And they're all very smart. They're more educated. or They're smarter than me or whatever it is that you may think. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to prove all things. And we'll get to those people who uh, consider themselves so smart a little bit later as well. Now, in terms of how life got here, there's, again, the same two basic theories. Uh, actually, there's three, I guess, on the life one. One is that uh, some creator being started it. The other is that it randomly began. And I guess in between is that there was a creator who created something that resulted in life beginning. What I found interesting is in uh, uh, the last year or two, scientists have actually realized that the conditions on planet Earth are not conducive for life to just randomly, spontaneously form. So instead of accepting that there's a God, I've heard all kinds of bizarre explanations. For example, one is that life came from Mars. I am not kidding. I, there are scientists at respected universities in the world, of the world who said probably or possibly life came to Earth from Mars because it couldn't have started here. There are others who believe it had to be somewhere out in outer space. But that outer space one, or even the Mars one, is kind of bizarre, because whatever life there would be on another planet or another solar system would have to travel a fair amount of ways to get to the Earth and hopefully not die in the process. Uh... Space is, is cold, dark. Uh, well, if, you, if the sun shines on it, uh, not necessarily as uh, cold or dark, but something going through space is going to be pretty cold, and most of the time life wouldn't survive. But, of course, there are some life forms that can be frozen and, and travel, so perhaps that, that's their explanation. But you, rarely do you hear too many scientists come out and say, look, just speaking plainly, life could not have started on the earth. We do not have the right conditions. Therefore, perhaps the creation hypothesis, which is actually a fact, but the creation hypothesis is true. 
they don't tend to do that, at least not in academic journals. Uh, in uh, most documentaries, unless they're funded by uh, some type of organization that believes in God, uh, they, they don't tend to do that. Now, in terms of how life got here, there's a couple of different views. Some who claim that evolution is improbable point out the fact you have to have a bunch of amino acids and they all have to line up in order to form a basic protein. Now, in nature, when amino acids form, there's the uh, levo and dextro forms of the, the, the amino acids, so the, the left and the right forms. As it turns out, you need the labo forms uh, for, for, for proteins. And so they say that even though when these uh, amino acids uh, could form, somehow they formed, even though they're supposed to form 50-50 one way or the other, get rid of all the, the dextro forms. Those ones don't count. Then get the L forms, the labo forms, and have them line up in a precise sequence. They all have to line up in the right sequence because if they don't line up in the right sequence in the label forms, uh, they, they won't live. All, all proteins are alive. That's, that's, that's where they are. Well, then they probably have to line up also in a liquid to get the sequence right. Seems pretty unlikely that dirt just spinning around, blown up by the wind, could possibly do this by chance, but that's, that's what they tend to say. So that's what some people who are some people who argue against evolution, who are creationists, they argue that if that is so improbable that there's no way that life could have started because the amino acids couldn't have lined up. Well, on the other hand, the evolutionists have their own argument to that. They've got something that's called the Drake equation. This was based on some assumptions that came in the 1960s. Basically, what the Drake equation says is there are billions of stars to have billions of planets, and therefore the probability of having anything randomly happen is really high because maybe there's a trillion planets. And if there's that many, there's got to be lots and lots and lots of planets like Earth that could support life. Therefore, there are so many planets, anything could happen randomly, will have happened randomly, and therefore uh, life began. And so it was by chance, and therefore it's totally logical. So both sides try to use the laws of probability on their side. I kind of like to discount that. I think that probability is interesting, but the problem with probability is, again, both sides argue that probability is on their side. But I say that that's kind of illogical, that what we should really looking at, you don't want to base your belief on God, that there's a chance that there's a God, there's an 80% chance there's a God, or 98% chance that there's a God, or even a 99.9% chance there's a God. Because if you think that, then you think there's a chance there is no God, and you'd be a fool. But a lot of people only kind of sort of think there's a God. They don't really want to commit the idea that there absolutely has to be a God. But there absolutely does. Now, before getting into how life forms, and the impossibility, in my view, and I think uh, any any legitimate scientist who will, will tell you the truth uh, by looking at the facts will admit that uh, various aspects associated with life and evolution are just uh, 
impossible the way that the evolutionists explained it. Before we get to that, I'd like to get to something else. I would like to get to my laptop computer. Now, I'm not going to actually go on my laptop computer. And let's put this here. All right. Here is a laptop computer. This is the one I use. Uh, it's not special, by the way, just because this happens to be a Dell computer. I'm not telling people I need Dell computers. Our sons tend to use uh, uh, Macs. Uh, I've used Toshiba's and various other ones, and so uh, Hewlett Packard's and whatever. So I'm not advocating a particular uh, brand or anything. All right. For sake of argument, let's just see this panel as computer. Now, this panel is a piece of dark black plastic. Now, is there any possibility out of the bazillions of planets and the bazillions of stars that there were that somehow we could get a piece of black plastic that would randomly form in nature? Yes, I do think there's a possibility that we could get a piece of black plastic that could randomly form throughout the universe in nature. Okay? Say, okay, so? Well, what about my entire computer? Okay? Could this randomly happen in the universe? Well, some people will suggest that maybe if you have enough planets, enough time, anything that could happen could happen. Well, I actually asked somebody this uh, yesterday. I said, do you think there's any possibility that this computer just randomly existed? Or did somebody make it? I got this strange look. Like, are you crazy? Have you lost it? She said, well, yeah, somebody made it. I said, okay, thank you. But she didn't know what, uh, why I asked her that question. This computer contains wires, plastic, some kind of soldering, software, and it works by electricity. This one's not plugged in. It's got a battery in it, too. And here's a converter, which... When I'm overseas, is very helpful. Could this computer, with its software, randomly exist? I say no. I say, well, it may be possible that a piece of plastic could randomly form in the universe. Does anyone actually think that a computer will just form? Go out to an area where there are storms without buildings and see you know dirt moving around you think that's going to form a computer you think gravity is going to form a computer you think random chance is going to produce software so the computer will function a computer is useless by the way it doesn't have all its parts plus it's got to have electricity is it possible that this just formed we'll, we'll, we'll say we don't need we'll, let me unplug does that need a plug all right. Okay, all right. Maybe there's no external power source. Now, this actually has a battery in it. So, does anyone think that the battery randomly formed? And uh, put all the right chemicals together so this thing could run? Well, nobody in their right mind thinks that. Why would they? It makes no sense. If on Mars... <laughs> Uh, since we're trying to do probes on Mars. If somebody came across some Martian version of this on Mars, don't you think it would be all over the world news? 
There was life on other planets. We found something that was created by uh, intelligent design. It had to exist. It, so this proves, this was absolutely proved to prove that there's life on other planets. If they found something like a laptop computer that did not come from Earth, on the moon, Mars, or maybe some other places, because they've sent probes all over the place, they, that would be considered absolute proof that there was intelligent life on other planets. Absolute proof. Well, life is more complicated than that computer. Even a single cell is more complicated than that computer. Life is much more complicated than that computer. Is it logical to think that life just sprang up? Hit all the pieces, just like this computer. I told you, it's got it's got plastic. It uh, it's got metal, different metals in it. I don't know all the metals that are in it, and it's, and it's got the software. Uh, it's got all kinds of software loaded into it. This one has a solid state drive, uh, but it has to have all the parts, or it doesn't work. Same way a cell has to have all the parts, or it doesn't work. And the computer has one advantage over life, and it's not alive. So does anyone actually think that something more complicated than a computer randomly just began? Because that's what you have to believe if you don't believe that God created the universe and that God created life. You have to believe. You have to believe that something more complicated then then a computer just randomly just somehow showed up because who knows why. Because it was supposed to. Well, well, no, they had to be supposed to because there's no God, no designer, there'd be no reason. But that's what some tend to believe. Now, a couple things that I wanted to, to go into in terms of Scripture. If you take your Bibles, go to the book of Romans, chapter uh, 1. To to answer the question whether or not a functional uh, creation requires a creator, I think there's a few clues in Romans, chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading in verse 19. Romans 1, verse 19. Well, actually, yeah, yeah, we'll go from here. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His, that's God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal form and Godhead, so they're without excuse. But God is saying, look, there are things you can see, or evidence of it, that you know works. Now, how many of you have ever seen gravity? I don't know that you can actually see gravity, but watch this. Okay? I'll do it again. Guess what? It keeps working every single time. Okay. Believe in gravity. Because I see gravity? No. Because I see the results of gravity. Actually, what you don't see is while, while I hold this pen up, the actual whole table is gravitational force from the pen to pull the table up. Now, it's not enough force to pull a table up, but these things have been studied uh, further. But we believe in gravity because we see the results of gravity. And because of that, we've been able to do various tests. We 
the whole uh, human race, at least the scientific portion of it, is uh, and the curious have done various experiments and things along that line. He says, but a lot of educated people still don't. They've seen the creation, they've studied the creation, and still don't claim to believe in God. Well, the Bible talks about that too. Verse 21. Because they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. They had thoughts that made no sense. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Why? Notice verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image and made made like incorruptible made like corruptible man. Verse twenty four, so God gave them up to things to do that they shouldn't do, that were not good for them. But notice that God says these people who profess to be wise became fools. They didn't get it. They don't understand. So God is saying, look, the creation demonstrates that he exists. And those who will actually look at what God has created will realize that. Let's go further. Now let's go over to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. I thought I had it marked, but I guess not. I'll start in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So a lot of people think they're educated. They try to act like they're educated. Through their intellectual vanity, they believe they're sufficiently educated. They think they're super wise, but God says they're not. Verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Wisdom of this world says that Evolution created things, and we have the oscillating universe theory and all this nonsense from so-called educated people. They have some kind of education, but it's not based on the right foundation. It's not based on the Word of God. Since it's not based on the Word of God, they don't get it, and they go the wrong direction. Verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. So God's saying, look, I've made it such that you can't glory in my presence, God says. If you think you're wise, and you're not understanding what this word says, and you're not believing what it says, God says, you're a fool. You're following after things that are not true. It makes no sense. Now, I was talking about life. And I was talking about before getting all these amino acids. And well, what happens if, for some impossible, highly improbable uh, event, that somehow all these amino acids form, all the uh, dextrose side, the, the right side, goes away. I'm using my right, by the way. Uh, and the left ones, the label forms, stay. And then they, the label ones only line up in a certain way. Which, again, I don't think could actually happen, but let's say that there, it could possibly happen after uh, some planet would have having some predisposition that way, maybe. Well, if you line them all up, what happens? Not a thing. 
You'll have them lined up. They will not become alive. And they would also have to have lined up with the same time as you get lipids and carbohydrates also at the same time in order for life to form. But even if they had all those things, life still would not form. Now, instead of accepting reality, hardcore evolutionists claim that it's possible that maybe there was a change in atmospheric conditions on the Earth. Maybe electricity. You know, kind of like the Frankenstein monster. You know, if you watch the uh, old Frankenstein uh, movie, or there's a, there was a book, they put together a bunch of body parts, and then uh, somehow hooked up uh, this dead thing that was a kind of a combination of a bunch of people's bodies together. And electricity hits uh, some kind of a lightning rod. It goes in there, jolts this thing alive, and it starts to walk around. But that's basically what scientists are saying is probably something like that happened. Now, these would be the same scientists who would laugh at you for saying that the Frankenstein monster was possible. They would say that's crazy. Yet, Basically, that's what some of them teach, that somehow there was some kind of atmospheric change and that this, this made it happen. And as I mentioned before, because it's pretty clear to scientists who studied this that we don't have the right conditions on Earth, they're thinking, okay, then probably it came from Mars or some other, some other planet. Now, actually, it's impossible for life to start from non-life. Uh, one of the laws of science is called biogenesis, which means life comes from life. In First Timothy six twenty, uh, and I'm going to just say from the Old King James version, it, it talks about science falsely called. In the New King James version, it calls it knowledge falsely called. Same concept. So-called scientists have decided they don't believe in biogenesis when it comes to how the universe began, because they would have to therefore say it couldn't have started their way and God had to be involved. But well, God absolutely did have to be involved. Now, we did a short sermonette about this, about how to quickly uh, disprove evolution as the uh, start of life. You say, yeah, you did that before, so why are you doing something similar? I did this sermon this time because I wanted to go into more depth about it, but also... I think this is an important concept to understand. We as Christians are supposed to always have an answer. And what the world likes to try to do is try to shame us, saying, oh, they want to teach creation in some U.S. state. The governor goes for this. How ignorant, how stupid. They try to act like we who believe in a creator God are just stupid. Now, I do believe that in the typical creation uh, theology that, say, so let's say, certain Protestant groups have. I think it's scientifically flawed, but that's a whole other matter. But it's no more scientifically flawed, probably even less scientifically flawed, uh, than those who say there was no God, because absolutely there was a God. But again, let's go back to probabilities and all that kind of stuff. Well, what would happen if you had all these amino acids lining up the right way? Well, nothing. But what happens if somehow it was alive? Okay, Just somehow it would be alive. Well, it would have to die. Now, scientists recognize that living organisms have to be self-contained. 
They have to eat, digest, and reproduce in order to exist. Now, there's basically two types of uh, cells. Prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Prokaryotes are mainly bacteria, and eukaryotes are basically everything else. Sometimes people pronounce it eukaryotes. They have the, both of these types of cells have membranes, ribosomes, organelles of digestion, uh, and a nucleus containing DNA, which is deoxyribonucleic uh, acid. Uh, eukaryotes contain 21 amino acids, and they have to be in the right places in the right proportions in order to exist. Now, spontaneously alive, lined up amino acids or proteins would die because all living organisms need biological structures such as organelles and membranes. Uh, a membrane basically goes around it. And if it was just in liquid, and that's what uh, evolutionary scientists believe, they think that somehow something was in liquid. And they like the liquid idea because the idea of wind just moving dirt around, they know that seems ridiculous. So they think they have a shot, shot with water or with liquid because in liquid things do move easier. They're saying somehow these things lined up in a liquid. Well, if they didn't have a membrane or structure, they'll all just dissolve. So that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. Because the proteins would ultimately diffuse and that wouldn't work. And all living organisms need nourishment direction. And random occurrence without God being involved would not have created uh, a DNA-containing nucleus so the cell would die. Even if it had some cell to provide direction, uh, the nucleus would have to come into existence with the ability to determine what to eat and how to find it, which is also not possible. And proteins can't survive without DNA, and DNA cannot survive without protein. And so, so they both would have had to begin at the same time. Another highly improbable, if not impossible, thing to happen. And even if they had all these things, they would still die because they would have no reason to know they needed to spontaneously digest, come up with a digestive system and utilize food. And if they had all those things, they would still die anyway because they wouldn't reproduce. So let me say this again in a slightly different way. If you had all the amino acids lining up that supposedly you need for the most basic form of life, it would not become alive. So that stuff's impossible. And if you had all of them line up and became alive, it would die because it doesn't have the, the organelles, it doesn't have the membranes, it doesn't have all these things. And without the membrane, it would all dissolve and it would die. If it did have a membrane, what would happen? Well, it would die. Why? Because it, amino acids have no innate ability to realize that they need to eat. And in order to be alive, they've got to be burning energy somehow to keep to, to, to function. And it wouldn't eat because it didn't know it needed to eat. And then if it uh, did decide it needed to eat, it would have to figure out what to eat. And it has no DNA to figure that out, so it would die. And if it did find something to eat and somehow figured out to eat without DNA, which is not possible either, it would also die. Because if it ingests a substance that's foreign to it, it would most likely be toxic. It wouldn't have any ability to adjust it, to, to digest it, and it would still die. And then finally, and yes, I've said this uh, before, if it had everything, it would still die because it would die out because it didn't know it needed to be reproduced. So there are many, many impossibilities in the evolutionary argument 
that life formed without a creator God. And therefore, it is illogical to not believe in a creator God. We don't have to go there, but in Genesis chapter 1, verses 11, verse 28, and verse 29, God said when he made life, he made it and intended it to reproduce. So God knew that from the beginning. Put a bunch of amino acids made out of nitrogen and other substances. There's no reason to know it. There's nitrogen in the air. Uh, nitrogen is the most common compound in the air. So the air knows it's supposed to do something? Uh, not really. It responds to heat, physical things, but it doesn't know anything. The idea of an intelligent design by a spirit being known as God is the only explanation that makes any sense for life to have gotten started. Now again, I'd like to read something from a Dr. Peiss called Understanding the Arenaeusience. This is uh, from uh, nature.com. DNA cannot exist without proteins and proteins cannot exist without DNA. DNA uh, of itself can't do anything. This is getting back to my computer analogy. Software, which we'll call the DNA here, is useless if there's no hardware. It's, it's, it's of no value. Well, hardware, in terms of from a computer's perspective, this doesn't do anything without software. Okay? You need both. So let's just say the physical computer is the protein. Uh, with the organelles and uh, the lipids and the carbs and all that kind of stuff. And that the software is the DNA. It tells it what to do. Well, you have to have both. And there's no possible way that that randomly could just have happened. It just doesn't do it. Now, what about Charles Darwin? What did he think? Charles Darwin wrote a book called The Origin of Species. And I'd like to read something that he wrote. Now, this is from Chapter 6, Difficulties on the Theory, and from the edition I have is from page 124, or the edition I looked at. This is from Charles Darwin, the father of modern evolution. I guess before I go any further, let me say this. The idea of evolution, while the scientists latched onto it after Charles Darwin uh, uh, wrote The Origin of Species in the uh, 1800s, Actually, 1,000 or 2,000 years ago, various primitive peoples speculated something like evolution, but they were considered primitive, so nobody believed them. Everybody thought it was silly. Well, Charles Darwin tried to prove it, but he made this admission. Quote, If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. And it does. I mentioned the cell. I've told you the cell has organelles, it has ribosomes, it's got the ability to utilize energy, uh, To it's got a nucleus, it knows to reproduce, it has the ability to, to digest things, ingest as well, it has to ingest in order to digest. Well, that totally destroys the theory, according to Charles Darwin. And again, a single cell is more complicated than the most sophisticated uh, computers that we have with all their software and all that kind of stuff. It's much more complicated. Yet, people who claim to believe in evolution 
seem to think that that just randomly just all got together, which, of course, it didn't make any sense. Now, I believe if Charles Darwin would have heard about organelles and DNA, he would have either uh, conveniently overlooked them, or he would have admitted that his theory didn't work. Now, since he uh, did believe in some type of a god, this... This is interesting, because so it doesn't seem to me that he believed that life just started on its own. And this is also from the origin of species. Quote, There is a grandeur in this view of life, with its several powers, having been originally breathed by the Creator into a few forms or into one. So what Charles Darwin says is that, all right, he still believes things evolved, but he believed that God either started it with a cell or a few different types of living organisms. But that's how he believed life began. He didn't believe that it just randomly came on its own, just started. He apparently didn't believe it came from Mars or outer space. Uh, Apparently he didn't believe in the, uh, what I'll call the Frankenstein monster hypothesis, which is what a lot of people uh, do, who who claim to believe this. And he was right in in the sense that it's not possible that life began without God starting it. Life did not begin uh, on its own, and Charles Darwin seemed to know that. Now, Charles Marx, who was around the same time, claimed that religion was the opiate of the masses, the opium of the people. In other words, he felt that religion, in this case he's referring generally to false religion, I think he felt all religion because he thought it was all false, but true religion is not the opium of the people. Karl Marx felt that people were misled. Well, we have now evolution as the opium of the masses, or at least as the so-called intellectual masses. You've got people, uh, particularly politicians, who profess to believe in God because it helps them get votes. I don't know how they really believe in God. Maybe they sort of do. But they seem to believe much more in evolution they seem to have made a religion, basically, of this. And Charles Darwin himself warned about it. I'd like to read something. He says, I was a young man with unformed ideas. I threw out queries, or hypotheses. He says, I just guessed, speculated, suggestions, wondering all the time about everything. And to my astonishment, the ideas took off like wildfire. People made a religion out of them. Now, that's what Charles Darwin said. And that is what happened. He put out these theories... And there were people just hoping for some excuse to not believe this book. Now, in the United States in the 1800s, there was at least a lot of lip service to believing this book. And you were ostracized by society if you didn't uh, profess some kind of belief in the book. And Charles Darwin's theories, and he said, I just throwing some ideas out. And he says, I couldn't believe it. People took my ideas and took off like wildfire and they made religion out of it. And Charles Darwin said they weren't supposed to do that. But they did. It was basically false religion. And Nobel Prize winner uh, Dr. George Wald, he was from Harvard University, stated, One has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. But then he says, yet, here we are as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. 
So you understand what I just read? He says, look, it is impossible for life to just spontaneously start it, just on its own. He says, but we're here, so that must be what happened. Talk about blind faith. Talking about religion. He made a religion of this. He knows it's not possible. If something is is impossible, that means it's not possible. He says spontaneous generation of life is impossible, but he still accepts it. Now, if you went through school or took biology class or something, you heard various arguments about evolution, why it was right. Now, for example, one of them is that well, we have vestigial organs. We have things in us that make no sense uh, because we don't need them anymore, but we must have needed them in an earlier stage of our evolution, and that's why we have them. Uh, one such thing is supposed to be the appendix. Uh, it's supposed to be useless for a lot of years, uh, especially in the United States. If a medical doctor was doing surgery for you in uh, this region of your body, he or she would just take your appendix out at that time because they felt it was useless. And besides, it could uh, you could get appendicitis at some point in time in the future. So we'll just take it out and prevent that. Well, later they found, oops, no, this uh, appendix is, is kind of a slimy sac that's actually involved in digestion. And they've said that uh, Darwin didn't simply didn't have the information that we had when Darwin wrote that the appendix was a vestigial organ. Well, that's true. But it also disproves his theory. I actually remember uh, growing up and looking in textbooks, and in one textbook I had to prove evolution, this was, this was kind of a weird proof, on the survival of the, of the fittest, they showed these uh, moths that were on trees. There were two kinds of moths, dark moths and white moths. And basically, the, the view was... There was so much pollution in somewhere in the UK, London, I think, that the birds now could see the uh, uh, white moths easier because before the trees were lighter color and then the, the white moths stood out. They blended in and the dark moths uh, stood out so the birds would eat the, the dark moths. But after it got more polluted, the trees got dirtier looking, the dark moths would go and they could hide and those dark moths flourished. Now supposedly proof of evolution. And I never considered it proof. But later, by the way, it was found that the pictures of these dark moths on the trees, those dark moths didn't go on trees. The whole idea was stupid. Someone had to pin them on there to take the pictures for the textbooks to deceive kids and students, which I think is uh, insane. But that's actually uh, how they tried to prove evolution. And... I would also comment about the DNA complexity. I'm not going to go through this right now, but we have some papers at the cogwriter.com website, and the one with the most details would be uh, uh, the one on uh, creation or evolution is God's existence, logical part two. And I go into more detail about uh, DNA and logic gates and all that kind of stuff, which I don't need to need to go. And. The reality is it's much too complicated. Life is much too complicated to have randomly began. Yet, March 1st, 2008 edition of New Scientist magazine makes the following claim. Yet the idea still persists that the fossil record is too patchy to provide good evidence of evolution. One reason for this is the influence of creationism. 
Foremost among their tactics is to distort or ignore the evidence for evolution. A favorite lie is there is no transitional fossils. This is manifestly untrue. Creationists simply have no answer for such irrefutable evidence. So that's the end of that quote. But that's nonsense. For evolutionists, their proof's been made up of uh, evidence, lies, ignoring the laws of science. And there are not all these transitional species. There just aren't. Uh, the idea of a missing link and all this is just nonsense. The idea that uh, feathers form because something knew it was going to eventually learn how to fly? Totally illogical. What, now, what about the transitional fossils argument? Because that's the one they say we have no comment about it. They haven't found a transitional species. And the idea of transitional species actually violates one of the principles of evolution. That is that an organism is developed to where it's best to survive. It's not transitioning. It's the survival of the fittest. In other words, since according to evolutionists, there simply is random development and the fittest survive, there's absolutely no reason that any species would be transitional. Now, one so-called transitional fossil supposed to be a reptile with feathers. Allegedly, it proves reptiles evolved into birds. But that's been proven false. Let me read some about it. This is from Paris. Paleontologists have fired a broadside over a fossil, which is a cornerstone evidence to back the theory that birds descended from dinosaurs. The row focuses on Cenosauratropics, a fossil form found in 1994 in northeast China. About the size of the turkey... The long-tailed meat-eating dino was discovered uh, with a bunch of fibers which Chinese researchers claimed were primitive feathers. The feathers were clearly not capable of flight. Although that's true, it supposedly supported the theory that first aired in the 1970s that birds evolved from dinosaurs. As a result, a once outlandish notion became a mainstream concept. So first people thought it was stupid to say that uh, birds came from dinosaurs but after this happened they, they felt this was good well they went through they checked this under high scope high powered microscope and it says this actually what we thought was feathers actually looks more like the skin of sharks and reptiles fibers have an unusual beaded structure but this is caused by the twist, natural twisting of the strands probably coming together because of dehydration, because I think these things are probably 130 million years old or something along this line. And so basically, the birds to dino theory is based on the idea that small specialized theropod dinosaurs uh, with three-toed feet gain advantages of their plant-eating ones by growing feathers to keep warm and taking the trees for safety. And then supposedly, once they got up in the trees, they learned how to glide. But uh, they say that this is a reckless leap. These scientists say it's a reckless leap to conclude that they had proto-feathers. Okay? So this, again, their so-called proof isn't proof. There's another study, and you can read this also at the website, uh, that says that researchers discover the secret of more precise carbon dating. Now, one of the times, if you're watching documentaries or something, and I like to watch scientific documentaries and various things, history stuff and other things, Every now and then they'll tell you something was so many thousand years old or hundred years old or fifty thousand million years old. And sometimes they're close and sometimes they're not and sometimes they're totally off. 
even into the 21st century, we find that there are errors. This, is, this one scientist says, in most cases, it's not been proven to be too far wrong. Huh? Not proven to be too far wrong. In other words, carbon dating is usually often wrong, but usually it's not super, super far. Uh, and I mention that because we believe that God created uh, the universe billions of years ago, but Adam, the first man the Bible talks about, not until uh, about 6,000 years ago, just under 6,000 years ago, either he was made or about 6,000 years ago he left the Garden of Eden. Probably he was made... Six, around 6,000 years ago, but uh, left the Garden of Eden sometime uh, after that. So I just thought it was interesting they say it's not too far wrong. When I was a sophomore in high school, I uh, was taking a biology class. And at this time, I was actually getting literature from the old Worldwide Church of God. And I had a biology teacher who kept pushing evolution and various things. And I remember going through the biology text. And in this biology class, the instructor would make fun of, and the text, by the way, would make fun of theories that people had on life a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, five hundred years ago, even fifty years prior, including the idea that uh, life could form from nothing, from non-life. And I'm sitting in this class saying to myself, how do we know we know everything now? How about forty years later? Uh, maybe we'll, 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 twenty or forty years later, it'll be different. Well, it's over, uh, 40 years ago when I was in that class. And I remember this instructor told me if I gave her literature uh, that disproved evolution, she'd take a look at it because she didn't think anybody had any literature. So I actually was on the mailing list of the old uh, Worldwide Church God Times, so I gave her a couple of booklets. She took them. She didn't read them. She gave them something else to read, which was interesting. Um, we sort of got along, but she didn't really know how, how to handle me. After class one day, after she was explaining, she was explaining about spiders. And she was explaining uh, spiders formed, and spiders are known as arachnids. And about 100 million years later, uh, there were insects and all that type of thing. And I'm sitting in class thinking, spiders, what do they do? They do webs, that's kind of complicated. And they eat bugs, insects. Well, I'm pretty sure they couldn't fast for 100 million years and not eat. So after class... I went up to the instructor and I said, you said in class that uh, spiders were uh, evolved or started so many hundred million years ago. And then it took about 150 to 150 million years later until insects supposedly evolved. So I said, well, what did the spiders eat? Uh, By the way, I was polite. (laughs) Get this look on her face. Rocks, she says, and turns and walks out. Well, obviously, she was caught, and she didn't want to. She didn't want to admit it, but what she was teaching was not true. It wasn't based on sciences, on true science. Now there are various ones who've gone through this uh, and looked at it from the scientific perspective to realize that. But remember when I was reading in First uh, Corinthians 1 and Romans 1 about those who professed to be wise, they became fools. She thought she was wise, my biology instructor. But she had to know that what she was teaching was foolish. But one thing I've noticed is a lot of times people pretend or want to believe they're educated because they accept a few mainstream ideas, which are truly false, 
and in contradiction to the Bible. Matter of fact, there's a bunch of other mainstream ideas on morality that I'm not going to go through in today's sermon. They're also in, in error. That people think they're educated or they're enlightened or they're open-minded if they accept it. Now, I'd like to uh, go through a, one news item. There's a guy by the name of Professor Anthony Flew. And this is, goes back about 10 years or so. He was an atheist, and he uh, now believes in God. He was one of the most renowned atheists of the 20th century. And he says, his mind began to change for the existence of God and against atheism uh, when he started to look into DNA. He says in the video, as science discovered God, that DNA evidence, quote, has shown by the most unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life, that intelligence must have been involved. Darwin's theory of evolution does not explain the origin and development of life to his satisfaction. Says, I've been persuaded that it is simply out of the question the first living matter evolved out of dead matter and then developed into an extraordinary complicated creature, he said. Professor Flew, in his own words, also said, following the argument, wherever it leads, the conclusion is there must have been some intelligence. And again, who thinks if something like this was found on Mars or an asteroid or something, the asteroids are close enough that humans, I guess, could go to some of them, we could send ships to them. If we found something like this, we'd say, ah, this is proof that there's life from other planets, especially if it wasn't uh, something that was made on the Earth. Nobody would seriously question that. They would say, of course something else made it. Well, again, the unbelievable complexity of DNA, the unbelievable complexity of life, demands a creation, a creator. Now, some people have heard of uh, Albert Einstein. As a matter of fact, a lot of, most people have. He's a re- he was a renowned physicist. And here's what he said at the Science, Philosophy, and Religion a sy- Symposium in 1941. Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. We, the continuing church of God, do believe in science. I have a doctorate in one of the sciences. Okay? And that's the other thing I'm going to comment. When people try to say, well, nobody who's educated uh, doesn't, doesn't believe in evolution. Nonsense. Uh, I have between 12 and 14 years of college. Uh, one of my doctorates is in the, uh, actually two are uh, involved biological sciences. So I absolutely know, based on my study of science, biology, and biochemistry, etc., it's not possible that life started without a creator, that there is a God. In Jesus' time, he was talking to the Pharisees. You don't have to go there, but in John 9, 40-41. So some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him and says, Are we blind also? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you'd have no sin. But because you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Now the Pharisees were part of the so-called educated class of their day, but they didn't get it. Okay. Science recognizes that living organisms must be self-contained, they must eat, they must digest, and they must reproduce. Living matter could not have progressed to the point of eating, digesting, and reproducing without intelligence. 
as I wrap this up, I want to just say, understand, life could not have progressed to the point of existing, eating, digesting, reproducing without intelligence. There's no plausible explanation for how why initial life could have any intelligence or started on the beginning. It's not possible that the physical creation, the physical universe started randomly. It violates the laws of science, it violates the laws of mathematics. You can't go backwards infinitely. Something started it all and it was God. Now in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created heaven and the earth. Anytime, anytime you have doubts about your faith, understand that God does exist. The Bible says to prove all things, to hold fast to that which is good. Belief in the Creator God is logical. Your life should be based upon that fact. And since there is a Creator God, are you willing to devote your life to obeying Him, living the way He expected? Because He does have great things in store for you. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.